0: Binge Bone Star Wars is presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that sometimes life throws everything yes. at you at once. Like a fender bender when you're already
1: late. When it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are there for you.
0: Talk to one of our 19,000 State Farm agents via text over phone in person or using the State Farm
1: app. Find one today at statefarm.com.
0: Today's show is also brought to you by Star Wars. Jedi Fallen Order the new action adventure game from Respawn Entertainment
1: taking place between Star Wars Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars A New Hope players will wield a lightsaber hone their force powers and adventure across the galaxy in hopes of rebuilding the Jedi Order become a Jedi in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order available now on Xbox One PS4 and PC
0: rate T for T Excuse me. Excuse me, sir? There's something I can help you with. Uh, yeah. Binge mode's adult content. So you think I'm some kind of mercenary? You are a Mandalorian, right? Is this the podcast that also contains spoilers? It is. See? I told him. And now binge mode. He's very happy here. He is. Fits right in.
1: So what happens if you take that thing off? They come after you and kill you? No. You just can't ever put it back on again.
0: That's it? So you can slip off the helmet... And settle down with
1: that beautiful young widow, and raise your kids sitting here sipping Spotchka? Hello, yeah, and welcome to Binge Road Star Wars, proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs> I'm going to make the sound of Baby Yoda sipping soup. <laughs> I'm Mallory Rubin, Editor-in-Chief of TheRinger.com. What a great website. It's excellent. It's wonderful, folks. Great day today on ringer.com. Check it out. Joining me today, now that he's finished procuring some bone broth for the little one. Delicious. It's Ringer Senior Creative, your Jedi Master and Mandalorian Warrior, Jason Concepcion. Mallory, look!
0: I just took out a Gringer. So there's plenty. Mm. And there's also plenty of binge-mode Star Wars where we're exploring the wider Star Wars universe. From the Skywalker saga films, to the anthology films, to the Mandalorian, plus numerous other facets of a galaxy far, far away, all leading up to the release of Star Wars Episode IX, The Rise of Skywalker, in December 20th. Please make the journey to Mandalore with us by subscribing to this podcast yes. on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever in the galaxy you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Give us... The five-star ratings, or we will send an Imperial Walker after you. That's right. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for Binge Mode fans, and which is an excellent place to share strategies for taking down N-A-T-S-T. Ewoks can do it. I'll leave it there. And please head to the slash shop to check out our Binge Mode merch! Yes! Perfect if you're quartering in a little hut in the middle of nowhere.
1: New merch. Check it out. You might hate it. Last time on Binge Mode, we explored how the call to adventure shapes the story that started it all. Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And today, we're diving deep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Into the Mandalorian Chapter 4, Sanctuary. As always, spoiler warning. While we know nothing about the future of this show, we will be going deep. Deep on details from this episode of The Mandalorian and the entire Star Wars saga to date. I love it. Taking official canon and legends, hashtag not canon, into account. So get ready to run off a band of raiders for lunch money because it's time to head to Sorgan.
0: Mal, you ready to lay low? Stretch your legs for a couple of months, you little womp rat! I am actually that's a disgusting great. little womp rat. <laughs> well, before- <laughs> well, before we can relax, let's offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in the fourth episode of The Mandalorian by heading to a podcast studio far, far away to cue up the opening crawl.
1: Let's do it. Trust Mando to use a Mando filthy animal for Dermot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Very cute. On the bucolic planet Sorgan, peaceful villagers harvest little blue shrimp like creatures, krill. Suddenly, Clatuanian raiders attack. They shoot at the villagers, they steal the krill harvest. A mother, Omera, and her daughter, Winta, shelter beneath a krill basket for survival.
0: Meanwhile, on the Razor Crest. <laughs> A little baby Yodes, a curious little <laughs> troublemaking poppet. So cute. He's messing around with the buttons and stuff because they light up and he likes them and he wants to touch them. I just couldn't handle this. It's Mando, so cute. Mando takes him in his arms to stop him from touching them. Precious. They go to Sorgon after Mando decides its low population density and lack of industry make it the perfect place to hide out for a while.
1: Mando attempts to explore the planet without, well, Baby Yoda. To Just a
0: Adorably, like, no, I'm come, but decisively refuses to stay put. No, I'm not stay. I'm fifty. <laughs> Don't tell me to stay. I'm fifty years old. <laughs> I'm older than you. Yeah, that's
1: true. God, that's weird to think about. <laughs> they set off together. Little Baby Yoda just tottering off on his own two feet, waddling forward. So cute. They end up at a. Local brunch spot. It's all the rage on Eater. <laughs> I mean, it looks pretty good.
0: And the service is incredible. I'd say just a chatty waitress. Well, I mean, they don't get, they're not used to tips in <laughs> like, this place. I, she acted like a tip was the most, oh my
1: God, thank you. I see what she's willing to tell me about my fellow diners, and I worry about what she's telling them about my business. I mean, that's what it is. She's a connector. That said, the noodles are great and the bone broth is legendary. Delicious. <sighs> Alarmingly, however, Baby Yoda almost gets mauled by a loth cat. More on loth cats later. The way he like jumps back and squeals in fear.
0: I don't think, it, LBY oh. could I don't force, want to think about the cat getting hurt either. the loth, okay.
1: I don't want to think about harm coming to either the loth cat or out, little Baby it Yoda. Out fine.
0: The it cat did. was cute.
1: It did. One of the customers is a suspiciously tough-looking human being who we will learn is Caradone. Oh, Caradone! Awesome.
0: Caradone <laughs> sounds like a leprechaun movie. <laughs> hey,
1: Caradone! I love it. The bounty hunter and ex Rebel shock trooper fight and end up drawing down on each other as Pymyuta looks on, <laughs> sipping his broth.
0: He's like, "You done?"
1: And creating one of the
0: finest memes that the internet has ever done. Are you done acting like children? Kara <laughs> hints uh. that she's gone AWOL. She suspected Mando had a fob on her and was looking to collect a bounty. Kara tells Mando, Hey, dude, thanks for the soup and the conversation, huh. but I was on Sorghum first, so scram!
1: I love it. She's not afraid to take control. That night, back at the, as always, unattended Razor Craser. <laughs> <laughs> Unlock. <laughs> What's he doing, Mandu?
0: No, get the, the, the clapper, space Is clapper. On it? turning the
1: critic voice. <laughs> <laughs> Two locals, Cabin and Pillboy from the Good Place. <laughs>
0: I'm just glad to see Pillboy out here getting a bag. (laughs) Me too.
1: Me too. Approach Mando. They want him to help protect the village. And when Mando hears that the village is far away from everything remote, he takes them up on the offer, brings Kara to lodging. The bag is light, but the destination is remote and that's what they need. Baby Yoda gazes up at the stars as they make their way.
0: They arrive the next morning, and the children of the village are delighted oh at the sight of LBY. Oh, and to be them He is delighted moment. by them. Oh, it's wonderful. Mando tells O'Meara, the widowed mother, that he can take off his helmet, finally solving the mystery of how he shits and brushes his teeth, <laughs> but only by himself, not in the presence of others. This is the way, apparently. He then takes off his helmet in front of an open window. <laughs> <laughs> to eat a cheese plate in dozens of people could just turn around. <gasps> Anybody who decides to walk by, puzzling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions about all of this. Like, does he have sex with the helmet on? Is Mando a virgin?
0: I think Mando is a V, uh,
1: big V. Mando's a space virgin. Yeah, he, well, sure. I know, I know one widow who'd like to solve that for him right quick. Yeah,
0: it's pretty obvious. She's putting it on French Street. It's on Maine out here. She's like like, trying to take the helmet off. I know how to harvest krill. She does. Let me harvest your krill. A wonderful person. (laughs) She's great. I
1: loved her. Later. Mando and Kara take a little look around the woods and they find the tracks of the Klatooinian Raiders and, twist, (laughs) dun, 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 the tracks of an ATSC. Chicken Walker. Much more on those later. Mando and Kara call the village together, and Mando's just like, you have to move. You can't live here can't anymore.
0: <laughs> That's a really funny moment in the episode. <laughs> and I'll take the second half of my payment now, please. Thank you. Everybody move. Bye. Oh, God. Kara explains that they don't have the weaponry
1: to take down the ATST. I, I no. In trouble. other words, they don't have an Ewok. It's Come on, guys.
0: Ewoks <laughs> with wood and rope uh, man. owned these things. Oh, what God. are you talking about? We can't take them down. Jesus.
1: Confusing. Don't worry. Soon they will be able to solve it with a puddle. The villagers refuse. Of course, this is their home. They've put down roots here. They don't want to move. They're willing to fight. And Mando, moved by their dedication, agrees to help them. And a training montage and a seven samurai homage commences as they come up with a plan and set a trap.
0: Night falls. Mando and Kara go to the raider camp. Mando and Kara set explosives, take out some of the raiders that get too close. More charge in, and a fight breaks out. The two manage to shoot their way out of the tent before the explosives go off. But now the ATST is active. They run back to the village with the ATST in pursuit of the bait.
1: Stupid ATST. Drunk on spotchka. Delicious.
0: <laughs> blue shrimp.
1: Wonderful. Beverage. All beverages in Star Wars are blue, apparently, or green. Yes. The ATST breaks through the trees, but. It pauses just on the edge of the trap and the raiders charge. The villagers open fire, stand ready with their sharp sticks. Kara calls an audible, running forward and diving into the trap to try and lure the ATSC into taking one more step. Meanwhile, in the village, the fight is desperate and hand
0: to hand. O'Mara crushing it out there. Expert shot. I love when she's the, got a story. Everybody's shooting at the, uh, the pots and pans, like missing by five feet. And she's just like, like triple tapping bullseyes on, the, on a pot. It's like Nancy Wheeler next to Jonathan Nancy in Stranger and things, things, you know, it. crushing it. Finally, the AT steps and totters into the water-filled trap. Mando tosses a grenade in one of its eye slots and the walker is down. The remaining raiders flee for their lives.
1: Cowards. Stand and fight. Omera tells Mando, in the peace after the battle, weeks have passed, we realize, that baby Yoda is happy here. Of course he is. He's so happy. It's of heartwarming. heartwarming. Although he gets shamed into
0: not eating a frog. Frog
1: shaming him is not acceptable, though, we'll talk about this. It does lead to us realizing how he's learning, he's learning. and adapting. He's
0: from- Again, he's 50.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's a baby. Kara asks Mando what happens if he takes his helmet off. He says he can never put it on again. This is the way. She tells him basically that he is insane for not just taking it off and settling down with the hot widow who wants to fuck him.
0: I don't get it. You can't put it on again? What is there like a, you break the seal? Is it like a safety seal like on (laughs) Tylenol? (laughs) Mando (laughs) notes that it's likely their little battle got the wrong people's attention. Maybe it's time to move on, he says. Life on the space roads is no kind of life, so he wants to leave LBY in the village. How Kara, dare you? It's unbelievable. This How
1: car. dare you? Kara
0: tells him that that would break LBY's little heart. He'll get over it. We all do. Sad. Okay, hard ass. Meanwhile, in the woods, a bounty hunter, led by a tracking fob, is closing on the village.
1: Yes, tracking fob. O'Mara tells Mando that the community wants him and his boy to stay. And Mando's moved. Omera tries to take his helmet off to look at his face, to kiss him, everything. And he stops her in the woods. The bounty hunter takes aim and puts Baby Yoda in the crosshairs of its Dare sniper you. scope. And I just want to say, never show me this again. Never. I'm never actually
0: show me this. I'm again. I'm actually mad at Floney. I'm mad at Bryce Dallas Howard. Outrageous. I'm mad at John Favreau. I am appalled. How- how
1: dare you do this? I have watched this episode like 50 times and can never see this particular shot ever again for as long as I live. This
0: is your final warning. (laughs) Never do this again.
1: (gasps) Mercifully, before the bounty hunter can fire, Kara takes him out. Shot to the back. She and Mando find the fob. They realize they will have to leave.
0: Mando says goodbye to Kara. Winto, O'Mara's daughter, hugs LBY and oh! both look so stricken. Oh, God. O'Mara thanks Mando, and he and the child depart. On that turn-up cart, just like Ross. Uh, <laughs> can I, like, I don't understand this. He parked his ship, like, a day away? This was one of the more confounding things
1: in the episode, is when Pillboy and Kevin tell him that it's, Gonna be, oh, it took them a day to get there, they're gonna it's gonna take them that long to travel back. And then when Mando sets out, you have to know in the back of your mind that this
0: might not work. You might have to flee. Should and I, so you need to be closer to your transport than that. What are you doing? Should I just fly my ship there? What is a day? I, okay, why don't we get there in five minutes? I, I just don't understand it. Maybe there's nowhere to land the ship in the area
1: because of the like pond crowd, but the ATST is able to roam around. You know what I'd
0: like? You know what I think is a good idea? I'd like to not know for at least a day if my ship is stolen.
1: Or that it's gonna, I'm going to have to flee from bounty hunters pursuing us for a day before I can get back there. <laughs> Ludicrous. Mando, what are you doing? Mando! <laughs> Jason? Yeah! We want you to stay. Good. The community's grateful. Ooh, they should be. <laughs> you can pack all this away in case there's ever trouble. You and your podcast could have a good life. Binge mode could be a child for a while. Wouldn't that be nice? And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's search our feelings and use the force. The defining theme of this episode is... Community.
0: Oh.
1: Chapter four, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, written by Jon Favreau, is called Sanctuary, and that title cuts to the core of this episode. The series to date, and indeed much of what we know about Mando himself so far. The episode finds its heart in a contradiction. The Galaxy may be far, far away, but when trouble is always close by, refuge can feel unattainable. Just when you think you've found safe harbor, you're back in the crosshairs. Again, never again, Baby Yoda, please. Yeah, Yet, <laughs> realizing that there may be no such thing as sanctuary makes the idea and ideal of community and comfort in a world often built on depriving them, all more meaningful, all the more desirable to pursue. And we open underwater, but not in a way that suffocates, in a way that makes us think of life and possibility. The music is gentle and hopeful. The colors are bright and vibrant. The auditory and visual palettes are unlike what we've seen in The Mandalorian so far. We are on Sorgan, the planet to which Mando and Baby Yoda will soon fly. And when we pan up above the water surface, we see that the people harvesting the krill are villagers, Omera and her daughter Winta among them. When the children chase frogs, they kick balls. They're being kids. It almost feels as though we might be in another flashback before war or the echo of it changed the rhythms of life. But we're called into the present with thuds and groans, and the villagers are too. They scream and run and shout, they're back. It's instantly clear that this is a routine occurrence for the villagers, a literal and existential threat against their community. And it's a harrowing sequence. It really is. Mm-hmm. Blaster fire from, at this point, an unseen source that we will quickly come to learn as an ATST, pelting through the grass and the pond water. The Klatwinian raiders pilfering the village krill stores. Omera and her daughter went to needing to take shelter beneath the fishing basket that represents their way of life, just this thin layer of wicker that's serving as their only shield between life or detection, which could mean death. That delicate harmony of existence in this place upset not by surprise, but even more upsettingly, by inevitability.
0: After the title card... Burr, <inaudible> I like that <inaudible> Baby Yoda. <laughs> we cut to Mando and little baby Yoda above Precious. the razor Crest, having fled their pursuers at the end of chapter three. L.E.Y. is back. <laughs> his little tunic, his little sack. So cute. His little sack, little tunic. There seems to be a little hood on it, too, if you wanted to flip it up.
1: It's like a, not quite a turtleneck, but there's a lot, there's ample material around the neck it's for like warmth a, and
0: comfort. It's like you just basically take it's a like pillowcase. A permanent neck roll. You take a pillowcase, you cut a couple holes in the bottom.
1: So it looks great. Just sew a little hemline. A little potato sack for our little potato.
0: And he is just. <laughs> playing with and engaging with every little thing that lights up on the dashboard of the Razorcrest throughout the episode after arriving on Sorgon. We'll see how the delights of being amongst others transports little baby Yoda, sparking his curiosity, informing his behavior, treating all sorts of new coos, new chirps, new gestures, like a whole, he's really blossoming. He and, it, and it almost, it's sad to think about what he's, probably gone through and who knows how long he was kept. Perched on the razor crest dash LBY presses button after button, looking longly and guiltily <laughs> at Mando as he, he does. What he's doing. He does. He's again, he's fifty. <laughs> like a cat watching you from the counter, knocking over the remote to get your attention. Yes specifically because you said not to. It is too much. Very reminiscent of
1: when I look over at Halo in the morning and I say, just a few more minutes, and he picks up my alarm clock with his teeth
0: and drops it so that I have no choice but to wake up. It's unbelievable (laughs) stuff from both Halo and LBY. The way he, like, his ears will Uh, flop down. The ears are
1: increasingly my favorite part, by the way. I mean, the eyes are obviously a marvel. His little nose, his forehead crinkle, his lip quiver. But so much of his expression comes from his ears. incredible.
0: A marvel! It's incredible. He wants to be a kid. He wants to learn and grow and play. Mando is growing as well. We lost count of our laments in the show's opening weeks about Mando not picking up Baby Yoda, holding him, showing him some kind of affection. But here he does. Yes, thank God. After LBY is slamming on those little buttons, Mando picks him up. Let's see, he says. Sorgon looks like there's no starport, no industrial centers, no population density, real backwater scug hole. Watch it, buddy. <laughs> Which means it's perfect for us. You ready to lay low and stretch your little tiny legs for a couple months, you little womp rat? Precious. Nobody's going to find us here.
1: The planets desirable specifically because it's off the map, off the path. It's... A map and a path that we are gleaning. A hunter must have have, must be aware of, in order to find its prey. And the mysterious Deus Ex tracking fobs once again play a key role in this episode, which we'll get to more later on. But the implication here is clear. Mando, who uses the fobs for his work as a bounty hunter, or used to at least, knows how they function. And he also knows that all of the bounty hunters back on the client's planet have fobs out on Baby Yoda. Yet, he believes that a backwater skug hole can provide the shelter that they need, which indicates that the fob only works if you know where to go to activate it. He tells Baby Yoda he's going to scout it out, make sure it's all safe for them. Don't touch anything, he says. I'll find us some lodging, and what I'll come back for you.
0: About? What are you talking about, man? <laughs> stay right
1: here. You stay. Don't move. You understand? Great. <gasps> One of the highlights of the episode comes seconds later when the hatch to the Razor Crest opens. And we see that Baby Yoda is standing right next to Mando, Mando. cooing, looking up at him expectantly, ready to walk out with him. Just a darling, darling boy. And this is more than just a cute moment. It's a reminder that Baby Yoda chose Mando just as much as Mando chose him. They want to be together. For Baby Yoda, as we saw on his face and heard in his cries last week when Mando handed him over to Dr. Pershing and the client, real safety doesn't come from just a location. It comes from who he's with, Mm -hmm. specifically from being with Mando, with his new family, his new community.
0: Baby Yodes, now without his basket, waddles behind Mando quite capably, and we must say adorably. so cute. Taking in the sights (laughs) of this wonderful new planet. Uh, He loves to explore. He's got a very active mind. You can see that. They arrive at a cafe in town, full of new sights and smells and sounds for LBY. We still don't know, of course, what his life like was before. Did he have family? Was he bred in a lab? Was he hatched? We don't know if he's a clone. Did he have parents? What would his life have been like in either case? Was he around others of his kind? Was he around others at all? Did he have love and friendship? He drinks in the new surroundings like it's all new to him. And yeah. it very well may be. Yes. Again, he is 50. I don't know how many times I gotta say, it. he's 50! But he's a baby. No, baby. <laughs> a 50-year-old baby. He's like a very old oh, baby. And his life so far, even just the part of it we've seen, has been filled with uncertainty and peril. Yes, He wants to form attachments and make new discoveries. And indeed, he has formed an attachment. Here he chirps with joy as he gazes at the sunbeams on the floor, then jumps back in fear from the Loth cat. more on them in the eight, whom he waddles too close to. He perches on his high chair with excited contentment, ready to take in the day. When Mando reaches down and picks him up <laughs> so and puts him on so the chair, cute. it's like, oh my God, these... It's so cute. Also, like, if you're trying to keep a low profile, <laughs> oh carry God. him into town. If you come walking or into town... don't ta- go into town. But if you, but if you come walking into I town know. with Everyone's like... Everyone's gonna look. Every, with an eight-inch tall baby next to you.
1: <laughs> I don't know how Twitter works on Sorgan, but I know that Little Baby Yoda was a trending topic yes, I that want to day. Take a picture can, I sure. take a picture? can I take a picture of your son? Imagine Baby Yoda <laughs> holding court, just taking selfie after selfie with the admirers. <laughs> Crushing it. The cuteness does not end there. Bone broth for the
0: little one. He needs it. Mando says. The growing boy!
1: Possibly the most heartwarming
0: moment from Mando that we've seen so far. That is just so I, sweet. It is very notable to me that the last one. episode, he's, like, basically prepared to sell the baby. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's, like, kind of the overprotective dad. The I mean, he want him to go
1: outside to play yeah. in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Bone brought for the little one. He's got him on quite a diet here. He saved Baby Yoda and helped him escape the enemy's clutches. Okay? And now, now the real work begins. You got him out. Now you keep him alive. You nurture him. You care for him. You raise him. That all comes next. And with all of the daily realities that that entails, he's looking out for baby Yoda. He's feeding him. He's nurturing him. And it is really heartening and wonderful to see. But it's not just menu scanning. He's got to keep an eye out always for threats. And... He spies Cara Dune, clearly fierce, clearly watchful across the restaurant. And he asks the waitress with some bribe money as added incentive for the dirt. And she is all too happy to oblige. All too
0: happy to oblige. Who's who's the tough-looking one with the battle armor on?
1: (laughs) Mando pursues Cara when he sees that she's slipped away, flipping a coin to the waitress and telling her to keep an eye on the kid. But still, alarmingly, we have to note here, leaving Baby Yoda alone in a room full of strangers— any of whom could be wishing him ill. Any of whom could be reporting his whereabouts. Any of whom could be bounty hunters themselves. You don't know. You don't know. Mando, Baby Yoda is not the Razor Crest. You can't just leave him unattended. You don't know this broth-offering waitress. You don't know that you can trust her. I was
0: horrified by this. I was distressed. Listen, as we've as we've talked about <laughs> over the course of the Mando episodes... Is the Mando good is an open question. He's great in a fight. His heart is in the right place. He has a lot to learn. That's my official stance as of now.
1: It is a moment here, though, that reminds us specifically of the thing that they are missing. Other people they can trust. The peace of mind that comes from knowing others have your back. Now, in Chapter 3, obviously, the other Mandalorian warriors provided that for Mando and Baby Yoda. But... Remember, it was a surprise when they did that. It wasn't the expectation. The expectation is that they would remain underground for their protection as is their way. And as a result of them doing so, of rising to the occasion and coming to his aid, they had to then abandon their covert and seek to build a new life, a new sanctuary of their own elsewhere. And we, and presumably Mando right now that we're not sure, don't know where that is. Mm -hmm. Mando and Baby Yoda have each other, but they don't have anyone else right now.
0: In one the scene that follows, we get a good look at some of the Mando's built-in bells and whistles. This is cool. He activates some of his gear as he's tracking Kara. We get a look at a vision sensor that has a kind of Mm predator-esque ability to read heat and latent heat. And he's able to track her footprints due to her prior movements. And then Kara swings down from a perch, kicks him in the chest, and proceeds to... I don't know how else to put it. She really puts a Beating on his ass. Like yeah. it's a tie officially, but yeah. she fucks him up. I mean, she's bare hand punching the Beskar armor
1: and is holding.
0: He, he's so shook that he's like, well, I guess I gotta get the flamethrower out. Yes. He
1: goes, by is the way, like, which
0: is absolutely, come on, man. You're wearing a full suit of armor. You're getting your ass kicked in an alley. and You're going to burn a woman alive? Because the, she you're going to go was, to the flamethrower? What's suspicious at brunch? I know. You You <laughs> followed her out into a <laughs> fucking alley. You're getting your ass kicked. It's and then you're like, tough. I guess I'll barbecue her up. Come on, dude. Mandel goes to the
1: flamethrower. Too often and too quickly, it too is often. officially a tough look for Learn her a,
0: the, You know, s- somebody puts their paws on him, all of a sudden he's going straight to the flamethrower. It's ridiculous. No wonder he ran out of fuel last time. He followed her out. <laughs> <laughs> they fight to a draw, again, yeah, kind of a draw. Blasters, yep. draw blasters on each other. Something else causes them to look over. And what is it? What is it, folks?
1: It is one of the best moments in recorded human history. That's what it is. It is (laughs) LBY.
0: Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Wrapped cozily. He looks great. In his burlap robe. (laughs) Sipping bone broth. Daintily in a mug, which he has clasped in his two little hands, his little claws. (laughs) Curled into the side of the mug. It's perfect. And he's sipping. It's perfect. And I have to think... I don't know, how cognizant... They knew what they had. Is Bryce they knew, Dallas they Howard they knew what of, they of meme culture? Yeah, they Do you think? Yes. You feel it
1: in this moment. I mean, I feel
0: it too, but yeah. like, is it that blatant that they're just like, they'll meme this?
1: You're making a show for 2019 for a streaming service. You know what the internet is. You know how it works. And I think the fact that we are currently in this moment where we're in this, like, will the Baby Yoda merch be ready for the holidays period? Yeah. Because... They it's, waited it's so to true. start making the march because they were so intent on keeping Baby Yoda secret. Really, really speaks to the fact that they knew they had something incredibly special and remarkable in their hands. And how could they not, with Warner Herzog walking around set every day, <laughs> talking about how heartbreakingly it, beautiful it was? It is, it is
0: really amazing. I don't. There was a stat that got shared on social media over the weekend that like Baby Yoda has more. Uh, has more social media engagements yes, than, like, the all the Democratic yeah. candidates? Yes, the Axios piece. Yeah, my father <laughs> sent me that. I mean, he is—Baby <laughs> Yoda is legitimately a star. I was listening to the, to the pop culture podcast Who Weekly this weekend, and they did this whole thing about whether Baby Yoda is a who or a they. It's basically like an A-list or a D-list celebrity, and he's absolutely—he's arrived. Oh, This is God. his moment. He is an A-lister.
1: The default— Finding figure in this moment in time, it's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> anyway, they look over and that sight of little baby Yoda standing there in all his ten to eleven inches of glory. Sign the peace treaty with one sip. Absolutely. <laughs> How can you do violence in the presence of such an angel? <laughs> Want some soup, Mando? Ask. Oh God! And with that, they repaired back to the cafe.
1: Time for a nosh, and back inside, Kara shares some of her story with Mando as baby Yoda just sits there and observes, taking it in. She is a rebel shock trooper, a new term in Star Wars canon. We have met, obviously, many different types of troopers, but never this exact one. Exciting. Saw most of my action mopping up after Endor, she says. Mostly ex-imperial warlords. They wanted it fast and quiet. They'd sent us in on dropships. No support, just us. Then when the imps were gone, the politics started. We were peacekeepers, protecting delegates, suppressing riots. Not what I signed up for. How'd you end up here, he asks. Let's just call it an early retirement. She sips her broth and then says to him, look, I knew you were guild. I figured you had a fob on me. That's why I came at you so hard. Okay, so Kara, we can deduce,
0: right. is a deserter. Right. She has not been honorably discharged no. from the rebel army.
1: She is on the run, and whether her former rebel bosses or someone else is the actual unit that has the fob on her, we're not sure. But she's seeking a place to lie low and people are after her, Always on the lookout for those who are in pursuit. She and Mando have this in common. She ID'd him as guild because of his outfit, but remember, he broke the guild code, as Jason outlined last week in the Jedi Temple. And he's on the run from his fellow bounty hunters, and worse now. And community often springs yes. up in this fashion, from finding organically common ground with other people. They have something else in common besides just being on the run. They don't believe in the New Republic. And this is fascinating.
0: Yeah, it is really, really interesting.
1: Remember Mando's tone of derision when Mando! Mando! like <laughs> <on Greef> Karga <laughs> suggested going back to the court to report the client if Mando was so upset about it. Mando doesn't believe in the establishment, or at least not this establishment. And Kara, meanwhile, may have a Rebel Alliance tattoo on her cheek, but she has become disenchanted as well. And while we are all rightly focused on Baby Yoda and have been for the bulk of the show's run, one of the most important things that the show is trying to achieve is quietly this. Exploring how, so soon on the heels of Rebel victory, evil crept in again. How did the New Order rise so quickly? This is clarity we need, particularly in canon, with the essential heir to the Empire trilogy now decanonized. And that question was one of the central draws for John Favreau when he set out to create the series in the first place. He's talked about this in so this year's Star Wars Celebration, for example. He said, quote, it was really compelling to me. What happened after the celebration of the Empire falling? The revolution is successful. And then what happens? Now what? We're getting to see that here. And part mm-hmm. of that central tension clearly is that when the good guys win and the bad guys fall, you want to start your life with the people that you love. And you try to build your community as best as you possibly can. But you still have to contend with the world that you're trying to build it in.
0: Well, this has been a real treat, Kara tells Mando, but unless you want to go another round, one of us is going to have to move on. And I was here first. Incredible. And just like that, Mando tells LBY, well, looks like this planet is taken. He may no longer live by the guild code, but he lives by... His code, and he's All respecting right. Kara's dibs and dominance in this case, just as he would want her to respect his if the situations were reversed. So back to the, as always, absolutely unsecured Razor Crest. Unbelievable. Only there's company there. Pillboy, a.k.a. <laughs> Eugene Cordero, is the Krill Farmer Stoke. Someone tell Jason that the latest Bad Place simulation has really gotten out of hand. Really gotten out of he's hand. He's there with his comrade, Cabin. And they're seeking Mando's help, having seen his ship fly in and presumably having heard of a Beskar-clad Mandalorian walking through town ordering soup with a little baby. (laughs) Remember what the armorer said. That armor will draw the eye and the reputation will follow. Quote, I've read a lot about your people, Caven says. Tribe, if half of what I've read is true. And they want Mando, of course, to help them fight off the raiders stealing their krill and upsetting their way of life. This is a community in need. Our whole village chipped in, he says. They came together to fight a common enemy and attempt to find a common aid. Mando's in need, too. Though the payment isn't enough to tempt him, the mention of their, quote, middle-of-nowhere location is. They have lodging and they have the remote location that will presumably keep Baby Yoda off the bounty hunter's grids. And thus, out of fob range. Mando uses the villagers'
1: credits to recruit Kara. Ready for round two, he says. And she's dubious at first, so we're basically running off a band of raiders for lunch money, but the location is a draw for her, too. Last I checked, that's a pretty square deal for someone in your position, Mando says. He's a decent recruiter, actually. He also shows that he's adept at motivating his fellows. I can't imagine there's anything hiding in these trees that an ex shock trooper couldn't handle, he says, kind of pushing her buttons here. He wouldn't back down from a challenge like that part taunt, part motivation, and he can already tell that Kara's the kind of person who won't either. And then in a truly wonderful moment, He leans back to relax, knowing that he's got Kara locked and look up at the sky from the cart that they're riding in. And Baby Yoda mimics his behavior, reclining in concert with Dad Daddy, and cooing as eyes wide he looks up into the starry sky. Into all
0: of that possibility. What a wonderful little evocative moment (sighs) that I'm really glad made it into this episode. That was honestly a special moment. It really was.
1: He's learning. There's so much out there to see. There's so much to explore. When they arrive at the village in the morning light. Oh my
0: God. This is so precious. Baby Yoda. (laughs) Is this fucking star.
1: Perched (laughs) on the side of the cart. Holding on
0: to his little claws, (gasps) gripping the little side of
1: the cart. Looking out. And all of these new people, all of these new things, and the children run to him in absolute delight. And who can blame them?
0: Who can blame them? What an amazing day to be a, like a child actor on set. So jealous. Big production. You're in the Star Wars universe. This is so exciting. And then they drive up with the little baby Yoda puppet clutching the side of a cart. Unbelievable. And you just all you got to do is, Bryce Dallas, just turn the cameras on and get the natural reaction of the kids. You got it right here. It's just unbelievable. They are... Smitten,
1: remarking constantly about how cute he is, and he is overjoyed too. Yeah, he loves he it. reaches out with his tiny oh. arms, cooing with glee, giggling. We got a lot of new descriptors in his subtitling this week. Not just cooing. <laughs> we got some babbling. We got some giggling, etc. It is reasonable to think that he has never been around this many people. Oh, for sure. At least not yeah. well intentioned people. So not this many friends, at least, this many other people, beings who are looking to celebrate his life, to nuzzle him, to care for him rather than do him harm. He seems immediately buoyed by the prospect of such
0: fellowship. Mando is moving his stuff into the hut, which will become his lodgings, and he meets Omera. And they immediately create some heat. Gets hot. In the armor. Are we back in the armorer's forge here, folks? (laughs) Turn up the AC in that thing. (laughs) Because there's some thirst. There's some wanting. There's some desire happening immediately. Beskar may be able to withstand a glancing blow from a lightsaber. But how about from the inside? (laughs) The force of Manda's lightsaber. (laughs) The force of his pink saber. His tan saber against... Against the cod piece of the best car. Oh God!
1: I guess that area is technically kind of just like cloth, but still good bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's prepared this space firm, and yeah. honestly, it looks great. It does like a pure one holiday display. She has wonderful blankets there. for them, and it absolutely got to get those clean. <laughs> And an absolutely enchanting little crib for the LBY. This is so cute. (laughs) And other markings of home. Mando, bizarrely. Yeah,
1: this is strange. Whirls
0: around in gunslinger defensive mode when Omera's child, Winta, shows up. She kind of sneaks into Uh the doorway. And sensing her presence, he spins around with his gun almost out. (laughs) Despite the fact that, again, having left LBY all but unattended, another reminder that this isn't, just new for Baby Yoda. Mando's not used to living communally either. His affection for the Mandalorian foundlings has been clear from chapter one, but life in the Covert was not like this, clearly as Paz Vizsla's living like rats commentary last week revealed, and how much of that is just him wanting to honor the culture Mm -hmm. over any kind of actual warmth that he may or may not feel for the Mandalorian children. And though life in this Krill village, this village smells. Yes? Yes. They're, they they well, are living amongst the shrimp pits.
1: That part's tough. The water you would think has a stench, and also they appear to be doing laundry in the same water, which is concerning. Not,
0: I, I think that's not good. But where are the, also I didn't see bathroom facilities. I'm unclear about what is that another trench that's like further back? Like what are we doing? Maybe that's how they fertilize the krill ponds. I don't know. The, I, I the, will the, say.
1: <laughs> Symbiotic, you know? It's very much an open-air existence. And so that's nice. You have the fresh air... You know, you have the aromatics coming in from the forest. Sure, Every now and then, sure, like, think sure, about sure. your own home. You know, things take a turn maybe on a given afternoon. You need to light a, light a candle, light a match. Sure. The blaster fire from the ATST providing some <laughs> cover. Plus, you know, the brewing of the Spachka. Who knows what kind, of, <laughs> what kind of lovely scents that casts into the air. I don't know. I think it seems like a lovely place
0: to live. Yes. The village is absolutely beautiful, as you described, collegial. But they don't just welcome outsiders here. We don't get a lot of visitors here. Omera says she's not used to strangers.
1: When Omera returns, she has food. Fernando and
0: Baby got fresh veggies. Looks great. She is
1: right off the sweet green line. I gotta tell you, she's a Mando,
0: keeper. You're a fool, moron. You're an idiot. Hand on the moron. You're a dummy. <laughs> Take a picture of a moron as you're sitting. I'm sorry. It. <laughs> do you want? Is there something else you're looking for?
1: What else are you looking for? <laughs> he doesn't think he deserves it, man. I guess. It's tough. Winta asks if she can. Feed baby Yoda. And then she does so by hand. Him nibbling the little broccoli like stock is so sweet. Imagine being this kid and getting to do this. All the other child so actors, jealous. all the other
0: child actors were like, I can't believe that she needs to fucking feed him.
1: They all get to play with him in the circle with the krill hopping, yeah. which is very precious, but it's just amazing. She asks here if she can play with baby Yoda and he coos with the light as Mando scoops him up from the crib (laughs) and he then shuffles after Winta but then as Jason noted earlier nervous dad Mando really freaks when they make to go outside which is actually really refreshing because Mm -hmm. we see that he's paying attention we see again the nature of how deep his attachment is already but also it is a little incongruous with his prior actions still speaks to his natural inclination to mistrust People have to earn that from him. And yes. these are these are strangers to him, just as he is to them. And what's more, he knows, of course, that this village is under threat. That's why he came in the first place. A threat that could strike at any moment. Still, parents, got to let the kids go to the mall at some point. Have just to. watch these three stranger to. things. You Call me do it.
0: every hour <laughs> until you come home.
1: Boot up the comm link. Yeah. And Mando relents, staying in the barn with Omera to eye fuck each other and also get to know each other <clears throat> a bit more as the children play. She's observant, highly observant, noting that he didn't eat in front of other people, bringing him a meal to consume in private, realizing that he must not remove his helmet in the presence of others. <laughs> you <Yes. laughs> hungry <laughs> Oh, my God. She's not shy. She asked him about this outright. How long has it been since you've taken that off? Yesterday, oh! he says. <laughs> oh! Incredible moment! Simultaneously, a huge reveal on the show, and also just Mando being like
0: so literal. It's also very. It's kind of hard to square with some of his past comments to the armor, in particular, about when has your helmet been right. off. So this is an, an it, evolution in yes. our understanding of
1: how this works. I mean in front of someone else, she says. Okay, there we go. He points to the kids playing outside with Baby Yoda at the center, and he says, I wasn't much older than they are. Omera is rightly incredulous. You haven't shown your face to anyone since you were a kid? She's also sad. It's a sad thing. No, he says, I was happy that they took me in. My parents were killed and the Mandalorians took care of me. This is a pretty big Mando and Mandalorian bio download here, certainly by the standards of the first few episodes. Mm-hmm. While this does not confirm that he was not born a Mandalorian, because other Mandalorians certainly could have adopted him even if he had been a Mandalorian by birth, it does sound like that. It sounds like he was born and raised elsewhere and then rescued by the tribe, presumably as soon as the next shot in his flashback when someone or something has to save him from that B2 battle droid that was pointing its, the barrel of its gun at him down in that
0: dwelling. And that certainly hints at perhaps an even worse calamity than we have been suspecting. I mean, if the Mandalorians would feel the need to replenish the tribe by finding orphans and indoctrinating them into the culture, I mean, that speaks to perhaps a real, very low numbers in their Yes, and that would
1: align with some of what we have heard so far. You know, not only Mando's affection for the foundlings could just be a product of his personal history as a foundling, you know, and the empathy that he feels for people who are in his the situation that he's already been in. But things like the armor saying, you know, the foundlings are the future and the yes. way that they set aside the resources for them really reinforce that idea. I'm sorry, O'Meara tells him here. This is the way, he replies. The Mandalorians raised him. That means that he is a member of their community. Even if that community doesn't resemble others that we might be used to, and feels very strange at times. It's the one that he knows. It's the one to which, crucially, he feels a debt. And when Omera leaves him in private, Mando removes his helmet to eat. We don't see him. That reveals, obviously, still coming. I'm going to say episode six now.
0: Okay. I feel it's
1: definitely coming. It's, yes, and so is Mando on the <laughs> Racer Crest tonight, thinking about Omera. <laughs> Somehow the numerous children who are just again a stone's throw from the open window don't see him either. (laughs) It's insane. He's like, I can't I cannot take my helmet
0: off in in front of other people. Let me just do it in front of an open window.
1: Very loose interpretation of the rule, which ultimately bodes well for how quickly we might see him. But again, huge reveal that he does in fact. Delightful cheese
0: plate, by the way. Looked good.
1: Rains. They're delicious. Wonderful.
0: Charcuterie action. Farm to table action there. there. Oh, it's all farm to table <laughs> here at Sorg. <laughs> Mando and Kara go to scout the Kletuinian, attempting to gather intel before landing on a battle plan. And they notice some concerning signs. Something quite large appears sure to have damaged the trees. And oh, there's a big old footprint the size of a small droid-driven cart. ATSD Kara says. Imperial walker, Mando adds. What is it doing here? When indeed, this is also part of the post-war landscape that Favreau is interested in exploring. We have wondered in discussing Dr. Pershing and the Client and anticipating the appearance of Moff Gideon, how exactly the Imperial remnants function. But what about the factions outside of those? Mm -hmm. Are there Indian raiders, more than them in the eight, in league with an Imperial remnant because they're using Empire Tech? Or do they scavenge it? Are all sorts of weapons available on the market to those who would bid or steal to win it? Certainly, you would imagine if whole armies just kind of evaporated, people would look to make a living any way they could, and that includes selling arms. It's terrifying to think about. I don't know, Kara says, but this is more than I signed up for.
1: Bad news, Mando says. It's fucking wild. (gasps) Hilariously, when we cut to the next scene back with the villagers. You can't live here anymore. Nice bedside manner, Kara says, speaking for... The audience, as well, there. Though, in
0: Mando's defense, you build bedside manor when you coexist with other people. And also, wild that bedside manor is a term in the Star Wars I universe know. where That's droids do all
1: the doctoring. Great point. Great point. Thank you. Though, again, I'd take most of these droids over most of oh, these people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where's Mallory? She's talking to the Krill Harvest droid. <laughs>
1: I, lo- I was fascinated. It was a beautiful, wonderful fascinated design. Fascinated by that wonderful design, joy, just yeah. a delight. Though Mando abides by the Mandalorian way and shows real gratitude for the care that that community gave him, the armor-clad warriors, we say this with respect,
0: yeah. not
1: exactly fabled for their tenderness. They would right? say thank
0: you, probably, if you said that to them. Good, yes.
1: <laughs> That's true,
0: you're right. <sighs> Plus,
1: as Paz said last week, they've been living underground like sand rats, only going above one by one, those are not conditions that breed comportment with social norms. <laughs> Kara gives it a shot instead. The ATST changes the game. Yep. And by the way, y'all left that out of your job. I mean, posting. that's a, that's
0: an absolutely fair point. You guys left that out. Like, what would Zip Recruiter say? C- come on, let's can we? <laughs> let's just put everything on the table. You can't be like, yeah, it's just some raiders. Oh, they have a tank? Uh, ridiculous!
1: Sorry, ridiculous! Come on, Pillboy. Come on, Billy! Would you want Bortles walking into a situation like that? Bortles! The Krill villagers have harvester droids that we just talked about, cart-driving mechs, visual signifiers to us that these are not primitive people. They know what technology is, they know what they're facing, and they still didn't say. And while Kara generally had a great episode, a couple of the low points from her occur here in this sequence, including dismissing the villagers' horror over the orders to relocate. When Omera says that they have nowhere to go, Kara says, sure you do. This is a big planet. (laughs) I mean, I've seen a lot smaller. Tough look for our girl Kara Dune here. Very tough. My grandparents seeded these pods, Caden says. It took generations, Pillboy replies. She says, I get it, really. But, like, there are only two of us. And when they disagree, setting their own numbers and their own ranks, she says, I mean, fighters be realistic. Now, On the one hand, this makes sense from Kara's perspective. She's ex-military. She's been in battles up close. She knows what they take and she knows what they cost. I've seen that thing take out entire companies of soldiers, she says. Those guys must have sucked. To be (laughs)
0: 100%
1: fair. Not to harp on it, but they they like to mention that Ewok (laughs) (laughs) Hawks took out the Hawkers.
0: Again, the Ewoks (laughs) took them down (laughs) with trees. But despite her
1: battle acumen, she's failing to account for one key variable here, the spirit of the community, the desire among its members to fight for their home and each other no matter what. Maybe some of them will be injured, maybe some of them will be killed, but what kind of life would they be living if they abandoned their home and their work and each other without trying to save it?
0: Return we will, after word from our sponsors.
1: Binge Mode Star Wars It's presented by State Farm
0: You know those days when it feels like problems just pop out of nowhere Ugh,
1: yeah, like some krill-stealing raiders The helpful folks at State Farm know all about it Like a fender bender, when you're already late Or a thief, breaking into your home and making off with your new flat-screen TV Or your fresh harvest from your village Get out of here!
0: Luckily, there are more than 19,000 agents who are there for you because when it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm
1: agents are ready to help. You listening, people of Sorgan?
0: Find an agent today at statefarm.com.
1: Today's show is also brought to you by the Google Assistant.
0: The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone.
1: You can ask your Google Assistant to help with routines throughout your day. Say one command, and the Assistant can do
0: multiple things. For instance, just an example, once you've set up a morning routine in the Google Assistant app, you can just say, hey, Google, good morning, and the Assistant can take your phone off silent, adjust compatible lights and thermostats, tell you about today's weather, your commute, and what's on your calendar, and then play music or news, or even play this podcast right where you left off.
1: A little help, hands-free. Just say, hey, Google, to get started. And now back to binge mode.
0: We're not leaving, Omera says, with all the fortitude of a warrior, which indeed we will find out soon enough she is. You cannot fight that thing, Kara says once more. Unless we show them how, Mando says, won over by their courage. Love that moment. Remember why he was drawn to Baby Yoda and committed to protecting him from IG-11 in the first place? He was a foundling. He knows what it's like to lose your family, to have to leave your home. to need to rely on others to protect and guide you, and he wants to support Omera and the villagers' impulse to fight for the life that they've built with each other. He knows it's a precious thing and easy to lose. Yes. Commence with Sorgan's Two Moons in the Sky, a training montage that is an overt homage to one of Star Wars' foundational influences, Akira Kurosawa. In this case, the 1954 Japanese epic Seven Samurai, which focuses on a village of farmers who hire seven ronin to fight off crop-stealing bandits. Yep. Sound familiar? In addition to spawning countless odes elsewhere in culture, from The Magnificent Seven to Wolves of the Kala to The Three Amigos to A Bug's Life and beyond, Seven Seren was also the influence for the Clone Wars episode Bounty Hunters, Season 2, Episode 17, in which... Happened to have watched this the day before
1: this episode so dropped. So So weird.
0: In which Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka temporarily team up with four bounty hunters to protect the farmers from Hondo's pirates.
1: Fucking Hondo.
0: That guy... The galaxy's a much more <laughs> spicy place when he's around. Yes. But he causes way too much trouble. He does. That episode opened with a title card dedicating it to Akira Kurosawa, and Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress is one of the seminal influences on George Lucas in the original Star Wars. Seven Samurai, Bounty Hunters, and Sanctuary all share something in common. The old teach-a-man-to-fish ideal. Yep. The community wants saving, but everyone involved knows ultimately the saving is only sustainable of those who form the community, Take part in protecting That's right.
1: The training montage and ensuing events are also a testament to the idea of strength in numbers. Mando and the bounty hunters in general so often represent life alone, acting unilaterally, acting as a rogue. But that's dangerous and it's lonely, precarious, unpredictable. The true victory here... Doesn't just come from actually beating back the foe. It comes from choosing to stand tall in the first place, shoulder by shoulder with your fellows in the face of those odds. And the plan is this Mando and Kara will draw out the ATST, more on ATST shortly, take that out of commission while the villagers, trained by them, fight off the bandits. It's a coordinated attack and defense. And that's key because the Effort is exactly the kind that hinges on chemistry and communication. Not easy to forge and not easy to forge with strangers this quickly, but the villagers, they do it. They have it. Mando and Kara have their trust and their passion, and it is ultimately enough. Why the villagers never previously built Come on. barricades, we can't say. Come on. It's reasonable on, to ask. People. <laughs> people, what are we doing? It's reasonable to ask. How Almera knows how to shoot so well? We hope to find out. She's think, awesome. Yeah, that's a thread that you feel like has been left dangling for uh, a reason. Deliberately, yes. A lot of questions here, but ultimately, they come together in victory. When we return, Mando says, before he and Kara set out for the Klaatuinians. Right. We're coming in hot.
0: And then he turns to the villagers and says, "When we... And by the way, later on, <laughs> Hello. We'll be ready.
1: Indeed! These two have, like, unbelievable sexual chemistry. It's pretty remarkable,
0: given that you can't see his face. It really is. I ship it. I ship it, too. I mean, like, listen, it's all there for you. What more do you want, Mando? God. Mando and Kara fall into a quick rhythm with each other as they invade the Kletuinian camp. Like, they're old hands in the trenches. They're clearly professional warriors. And that mutual respect and shared language helps them establish a fast rapport both following their initial tiff and out in the field here. When Amanda later asks Kara, was that the plan after the improvised effort to draw the ATST that extra step and toss a grenade into its red-eye slot when it doesn't initially go far enough, it speaks to the shorthand that they've developed with each other, (laughs) the nods and shouts that tell a person you're in sync with what you intend to do next. And over... A very short period of time. Yes. They may not have fought together side by side in the Civil War, but they're comrades here. Mando handing over his precious pulse rifle for her to use, only hesitating like a half a second. So like A, like a, a half beat. a second. A beat. A beat. Which I, I It find. would be weird if you didn't It would be hesitate. weird if he didn't. That's a precious weapon. But he did hand it over, and I gotta give him his props for that. Incredible. Kara <laughs> trusting in Mando's cover all the while, the children are sheltered inside, LBY nestled in their arms. So cute. Aww. It's another reminder that we don't yet know whether LBY can call upon the force at will. Yes. And a reminder that Mando still doesn't know what the child did in Chapter 2 or whether he could do it again. He's not deployed in battle, but kept sequestered and safe. A reminder that he is the thing that Mando is trying to protect. And that, though, the villagers don't all know his history. They're trying to protect him, too, because he's so cute. So he's So precious. precious.
1: Gumdrop. In the wake of the battle, the rhythms of everyday life set back in quickly. This is what they were all fighting to protect, after all. This is what it's all about. Baby Yoda chases a frog, just as he did on Arvala Seven in Chapter Two. But this time, when he slurps it up, the watching children of his new community shriek in horror. They're revolted. Now, it is not nice to frog shame him. Don't shame him. Let him eat whatever he wants. Let him he
0: hit, me what he wants. He a little stinky breath. I bet you his breath
1: foul. Hits. It's hard. But any pet owner is familiar with that.
0: Yeah, but he's eating live
1: frogs. Yeah, your animal licks its own ass. Okay? Uh, you learn to deal.
0: <laughs> but he's but he's it. Senti- you gotta teach him to brush his teeth. He's 50. <laughs> he can already sip from his own cup. That's so sweet.
1: His little soup mug. <laughs> While it's not nice for them to make him feel bad, it is amazing to see him drop the frog out of his mouth. He reads their response. Yes, in response to them, he is receiving all sorts of new feedback from his environment, and he is adapting based on what he observes and learns. We have a lot to glean still about his nature, but we're seeing in moments like this how his nurturing is influencing his behavior. It's remarkable. Mando, sadly, is not adapting quite as quickly. (laughs) (laughs) that we get the sense that he would like to if he could and that was I think one of the best parts of this episode is that you could sense what was in Mando's heart even if he couldn't bring himself to say it in the wake of Omera observing how happy baby Yoda seems and how fully he fits in here Kara calls out Mando we on need his- Kara to hang around.
0: Mando needs. Mando her. needs absolutely needs her to hang. He needs someone who's just gonna be like, you're what is what, is what are you doing? He dude? calls him
1: out on his bullshit yes. in his rigid ways. So what happens if you take that thing off? She says. They come after you and kill you? <laughs> Basically implying that would be the only logical defense for you acting the way you are. Yeah.
0: He says, no. You just can't ever put it back. How on are they again. gonna know? Can I just ask, how are they gonna know? I- how are they gonna know? <laughs> is <laughs> That's a
1: reasonable point. I guess the answer to that is twofold. One, as we see, people keep finding each other. So information travels. Word travels fast, as he says. Listen, I
0: saw Mando with his helmet. Come on.
1: The Beskar Armor Man draws the eye. But two, more importantly, I think it's just that he has given this pledge, and he takes it seriously. Probably too seriously. Seriously (laughs) to a fault. yeah. So this right here from him is a big This Is The Way info download on the heels of what we learned last week and even earlier in this episode. If you remove the helmet in the company of others— You violate the code, you violate the way, and in essence, you forfeit your right to participate in that culture anymore. Again, as we said last week, this is clearly a new practice because it was not the case in Star Wars Rebels, nor was this the case in any previous canon that predated that. Mando said earlier that he's worn the helmet and observed the way since he was a kid. And again, based on all the evidence that we have, we we think, we think that he was a kid during the Clone Wars, looking at the B2 battle droid, his relative age, et cetera, et cetera. So perhaps there's just a timeline confusion issue here if the don't take off the helmet way sprung up back then during the Clone Wars when he was a kid and Rebels characters are routinely taking off their helmets after that period in time.
0: Sabine has her helmet off all the time. You gotta show off off the hair. I mean, fabulous, fabulous hair.
1: Perhaps the way it just started small and then maybe it's spread. Perhaps it's specific to this tribe following the Great Purge. We're getting answers here, but we still have more questions.
0: For Mando, though, the armor is not just a reflection of the way of life he's chosen and the community he's sworn to honor. It's a reflection of the emotional armor that he carries with him and that Boy, inhibits him from forming attachments. He's clearly committed to LBY, having sacrificed his guild standing already in order to protect him. But he's not quite able to bring himself to let go of the way and find... A new way with these villagers, even though all of his comments speak to how touched he is by the kindness on display and the peace. Yes. Oh, baby, Yona's found. He's moved by it. That's it, Kara says. So you can slip off the helmet and settle down with that beautiful young widow and raise your kids sitting here sipping Spotchka. And he's like, I mean, I guess that does sound good. His (laughs) silence is his answer. And she frowns and shrugs as she sips her drink. It's not her call, obviously, but she doesn't understand his choice. Mando, though, is thinking about what's next. Weeks have passed, we learn, and he's worried that the battle will have drawn attention to their presence here. Word travels fast. Indeed. We might want to cycle the charts and move on. Wouldn't want to be the one who's got to tell him, she says, as we see. Oh, I'll be frolicking with the children chasing little krill flopping around. Guys, stop playing with your—either harvest the krill or leave it in the fucking pond, (laughs) but don't pull it out. And throw it on the ground and let it flop around and torture it to death. Honestly, if you're going to do that, just let the Klaatu do it. Yeah. That. Stop it. <laughs> Respect the krill. <laughs> I have no problem with you eating the krill, but don't, like, torture it. I agree. By dragging
1: it out. I agree. Also, don't flamethrower your mudhorns. <laughs>
0: we have a lot of notes so far. <laughs> don't flamethrower a, a random human that you followed out of a bar because you're getting your ass kicked in a fair fight. <laughs> Mando? Mando! Mando! I'm leaving him here, Mando says, and we can ah, hear his heartache I even though we no can't out loud. His. It's like, come on. No, you're, first of all, no, you're not. Stop it. It hurts him, though. It hurts him. It does him. hurt him. Traveling with me, that's the life for a kid. Mando doesn't expound on what's changed or why he now thinks he's become more of a threat to LBY than a protector, but he seems to think that this new community is the home that baby, your needs, and not the home that Mando is certainly ready for or thinks he deserves. I did my job. He's safe. Better chance at a life. <laughs> but life is something to share with people that you yes. love, and Mando is that for little baby Yoda. It's going to break his little heart, <sighs> Kara says. He'll get over it. We all do. Okay, dad. Fucking hard ass. God. He's...
1: I thought that was a sad
0: lie. It was sad, but
1: like, dude. Because he's speaking to his own experience
0: about his loss and pain. It's like everybody here likes you. Just hang around. <laughs> he's speaking of his own experience, certainly. Having lost his family and learned to adapt. But Mando, clearly guided by his heart beneath the gruff exterior, isn't exactly a model yes. in this sense. No, he's not. Mando's farewell with Omera is quite it is. tender and
1: heartbreaking. It really is. It's very nice here, he says. I think it's clear he's happy. And he's speaking of Baby Yoda, but also heavily projecting. And O'Mara knows it. What about it's you? She says. Are you happy here? We want you to stay. The community's grateful. You can pack all this away in case there's ever trouble. You and your boy could have a good life. He could be a child for a while. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it? He's 50, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> have you told her that? He's old enough to listen to us fuck all night. He's 50. He's,
0: he's heard some shit. Believe me. <laughs>
1: she obviously is speaking with the audience's voice here. And it is really nice to hear. Mando thinks so too, as painful as it is from. It would, he says. And there is real emotion in this voice. Real great
0: voice acting by Pedro Pascal in this moment. You can feel it coming through even with the filter that's on his voice. You could feel it.
1: That right there is the Red Viper that we know and love and have been waiting to see more of here. I hope we get more of it moving forward. And she reaches with her hands and with ours to try to remove his helmet. And for like a second, it seems like maybe she's going to. And he stops her. I don't belong here, but he does. And that moment, that exchange, really cuts to the push-pull behind that idea of community. Wanting it. Even yearning for it. But also not thinking or allowing yourself to think that you can really have it. And the episode's mix of peace and war, longing and motion, quintessentially Star Warsian, but approached by focusing on this kind of slice of life that the films, just by definition, don't have the time to slow down and explore. And it is really important to see for us and for Mando and for Quill and Omera and Baby Yoda and Kara and all the other characters that we've met so far in this journey who, despite their different paths and different motivations and their emphases in the present, are united by this, by the desire to find peace and belonging. I will look after him as Uh! one of my... O'Mara's I bet you will. She's the best.
0: I got some. I. I don't even want to put this kind of evil on this podcast. But so Baby Yoda not going to die. All right, I'm not going to happen. I believe that. I want to just say this. Mandalorian not going to die. I will
1: never recover if Baby Yoda dies.
0: I will. I think never I, recover. I think whatever plans. I think they know. I think they understand that they can't do it. Put it
1: this way. If they, they didn't understand it before, they understand it now and are hopefully re-editing the end of season
0: one. They have to. <laughs> it's just like. Because I will burn the Disney offices to the ground. <laughs> that said, I do. I, got, I worried, like, <laughs> I feel like we're going to see Omera again and someone's oh, got to no. die this season. <gasps> you know what I mean? Jeez. Like, it's, I know. I hate it. Why? Because you... I
1: start thinking like this. Oh, my God. I think you might be right. I know. It's bad, isn't it? Fuck. I know. He's going to maybe try to be with her and live that life, and then
0: she'll die. I know. It's awful. damn it. I know. I feel terrible about it. Oh, my God. No. It's terrible. No.
1: No! Anyway, I hope that isn't the case. I'm really upset right now. I know. It just feels
0: like they're teeing that up. It feels like a real possibility. Shit. Yeah. Take past Miss <laughs> lunch <Yeah, for>, Listen. <laughs> Get that big hulking Please. side of beef out of here. Now, even Grief. Listen. Oh, I'll say goodbye to Grief. I if will means. say, I will kiss him on both cheeks. <laughs> both Beskar
1: blocks. Goodbye, my friend. Kiss him and whisper into his ear.
0: I hate you because you're a legend. You're a legend, Grief Karga. Uh, Anyway, protect Omera at all costs. We cut next to a crosshair view from the fob-carrying Bounty Hunter's rifle, and the less we have to think about LBY (laughs) and the Bounty Hunter's crosshairs, the better. My my heart rate just, like, goes up. My stomach clenches. I'm I'm sweating. (laughs) Never do this again. Perish this image and the thought. Oh, my God. So awful. (sighs) However, we have to talk about, for a second, how these fobs work. I think it's important... This is important information at this point. And Ben Lindbergh brought it up in his great piece about uh, Mandalorian episode four. We got to know how these things operate. It's time. Why was it that Mando thought that they'd be safe here? Clearly, he knows something about how they operate and there must be a range to them. The fact that he did and that they were for quite a while, for weeks, indicates that a fob carrier needs to know the planet in question, or at least a general area on a planet in order to get the fob in range and activate it. This also drives with what we learned from Mando and the client in Chapter 1 when discussing how Mando could find the asset. They know he's here, Kara says. Yes. Then they'll keep coming. Yes. Ugh. If laying low is key, Mando erred by helping the villagers and drawing attention, even if doing so was right. Mm. There's a real dilemma here. Yeah. Can you act as is in your nature and your occupation if your safety and LBY's safety rely on inaction? Mm, terrible. Baby Yoda can't stay here now. Because they know he and Mando are on Sorgan, meaning Sorgan is a bust. But the fact that he thinks it's worth trying to go somewhere else indicates that again, there's a way to avoid the Fobs at least for some time until your location surfaces. IG Eleven indicated that his Fob responded to signs of life, organic matter. The Fobs will continue to prove key; that much is clear. And hopefully soon, we'll learn exactly how they work and how to combat them. I think you know, it's like the Beskar reminds me of the Elderwan in that way of of like it draws. Mm-hmm. action and conflict to the wearer. Bloody pages. It can't, it can't help yeah. but do that. People see you and they go, oh, right. either I'm going to challenge him or I'm going to ask him for help in a challenge that I'm having. Right. He's going to have to take it off, hopefully in bed with Homero. Yes.
1: For now, it's time to go. Baby Yoda perches on the edge of his cart. It is heart melting. <laughs> Looking out at the friends and newfound family, this community that he's leaving behind. And it's for his own good. It's for his protection, but that doesn't make it hurt any less for us or for him. Kara and Mando say their farewells for now. And the children are despondent, wailing, winter-hugging Baby Whoa! Yoda as he lets out this little squeak of love. I'm going to miss you so much, she says. And O'Mara thinks Mando, and he walks away from a life that he knows he can't have, but clearly wishes that he could if things were different, if maybe he were different. For now, it's onward. Baby Oda standing in his cart, upper lip, quivering as they pull away from the only community that we've ever seen him know.
0: Wrenching! If this is, (laughs) let me just say this, if this is the series, a kind of adventure of the week, all slotted into like some overarching plot structure throughout the season... I love it. Sign me up for 10 seasons. That said, in 30 to 38 minutes, Mm -hmm. I think you got to have like 18 episodes a season at some point.
1: Yeah. The fact that we're halfway through already is kind of difficult to fathom, actually. I hope season two is really soon.
0: I really hope so, too. It's not like, come on, Favreau, you're not that busy, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will say I'm very eager for the Obi-Wan show. So I want to clear the way for that. Yeah,
0: we we know you are.
1: <laughs> but nothing, not even hot desert bounding <laughs> you and McGregor is enough to in any way distract me from wanting endless baby Yoda on my screen. Jason, yeah. Last I checked, binge mode is a pretty square deal for somebody in your position. Worst-case scenario, you tune up your blaster. Best case, you're a deterrent. So please gather the Padawan learners. Ugh. Head to the Jedi Temple. Teach us everything we need to know about the ATST, one of the Imperial walkers
0: manufactured by Galactic Industrial Giant Kuat Driveyards. We've talked about them in the past. The Imperial All-Terrain Scout Transport, the ATST, also known derisively mm. as the Chicken Walker. Is a two legged rapid response armored assault vehicle. The Empire often deployed them as outriders, engaging defenses with hit and run tactics, so the enemy couldn't focus fire on the main force, which is usually in the form of the ADATs. For defenders like the rebels on Hoth, facing an armored formation of ADATs screened by ATSTs offers nothing but bad choices. If you fire at the mobile ATSTs, you've just given away your position, allowing the adats to zero in for the kill shot. If you focus on the adats, you allow the ATSTs to roam unchecked, picking off soldiers and light vehicles. The secret to using the ATST correctly is to provide them with support, either in the form of adats, air support, or infantry support. Without proper support working in tandem with the scout walker, the vehicle, as we saw in Sanctuary, is extremely vulnerable. Now, Zach Cram, Mm. would like to play devil's advocate by saying that on Endor, the ATSTs were supported by ground troops, but they were indeed vulnerable. I would counter by saying the Empire used them extremely stupidly on Endor by having them chase alone after Ewoks, which I get it. They looked like easy pickings. You just have them like run after Ewoks. But unsupported by infantry, and then all of a sudden the Ewoks turn out to be pretty good at taking yeah. down ATSTs, and now you look dumb. Especially when motivated by their fake God. Was, this is honestly trouble. We'll get to that in return. Of the Jedi. <laughs> it's a war crime. It's nothing short of a war crime. <laughs> I'm s- not, not joking. joking! You're right. It's an outrage. Bring C3PO up on charges. <laughs> I want to talk about it. Truth and reconciliation, oh, finally, God. for the Ewoks. Let's talk about firepower. The ATST comes equipped with two chin mounted laser cannons with an effective range of just over a mile. This is the main weapon used for engaging gun emplacements and entrenched enemy positions. For up-close encounters with infantry or perhaps Ewoks Mm. or a vine-swinging Wookiee, the sides of the head feature a grenade launcher and a light anti-personnel blaster cannon. The head can turn 240 degrees, allowing the co-pilot to target the guns with precision. The scout's armor is robust enough to turn back small arms, handheld blasters and grenades as long as they go off outside the vehicle. But light enough to allow for speed and maneuverability. Heavier weapons, however, cannons, missiles, can turn a chicken walker into barbecue chicken walker.
1: Mm, delicious.
0: Heavier anything, really. Let us not forget, Cara <laughs> that Ewoks took down ATSTs using two huge logs suspended by ropes. You work with what you got. You don't have trees on Sorgan? <laughs> you know that on this planet, it could hurt the walker's legs. Oh, yeah? I thought you did mop up operations after Endor. Read the report. Fucking hamsters took those things down. This simple contraption generated enough kinetic energy to pancake an ATST's cockpit. So, the trick is always to keep moving if you're piling one of these things. Get in amongst the foot soldiers, cut them up, and don't let the big guns get a fix and look out for redwood logs. Movement is generated by those two motorized chicken legs, which, despite the somewhat gangly appearance of the vehicle in action, allow the ATST to operate in a variety of environments. The all-terrain in AT, as Zach Cram noted to me in my document. We've seen scouts and scout variants in heavy snow on Hoth, in thick forest on Endor and Sorgan, in treacherous swamps, Mimbin, and in crowded city streets, Jetta City. Take out the legs, however, and the platform is useless. Kara, while laying out her plan, tells Mando and the villagers that nothing on this planet can damage the legs on this thing, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. The fucking Ewoks did it. The Ewoks did it. Put some respect on the Ewoks. Please, can we respect them? We lured them into a devastating war, and now we don't even talk about their their, achievements. Their achievements, their contributions. Another, frankly, baffling weakness of the ATST is the pilot hatch located at the top of the craft's head. Other than the height of the cockpit off the ground, and a simple locking mechanism. The hatch lacks any defensive measures. The cheek-mounted laser cannon isn't maneuverable enough to shoot an enemy fighter who managed to get on top of the walker. And if, as happened on Endor, one of the pilots decides to pop out, mm. that leaves the craft susceptible to being boarded. The at and the Adat at were inspired in part by an illustration depicting four-legged cargo vehicles trudging through snow created by the industrial designer concept artist and futurist Sid Mead for a 1969 brochure for U.S. steel inspired by the cybernetic walking machine or walking truck, a four-legged prototype vehicle built by General Electric in 1965. It could go five miles per hour and was apparently exhausting to drive. Mead began his career in 1959 with Ford Motor Company and would go on to contribute to the 1978 Star Trek movie, Blade Runner. 2010, and most recently, Blade Runner 2049. In his book Sentinel, Meade said of his futuristic walking vehicles in the U.S. steel brochure, quote, the largest land animal now extant is the elephant. As he puts his weight on each foot, weird gendering of the elephant here, As (laughs) as he puts his weight on each foot, the metacarpals and tarsals fan out from the ankle and the foot spreads, distributing the pressure. Conversely, as the weight is retracted, the foot contracts and never gets stuck in the mud. The same principle was incorporated here. The foot structure would be alternately inflated and deflated in the walking mode to duplicate the natural function of the elephant's foot. In 1977, during pre-production for Empire Strikes Back, Joe Johnson, who along with Ralph McCarry is the artist responsible for the look of Star Wars, was iterating the design for Imperial Tanks. He felt that a tread-driven vehicle construction would be too earthly, not high-tech seeming enough. So he hit on an idea for a two-legged vehicle, which Lucas liked. Didn't hate it. Didn't hate it. As luck would have (laughs) it, Johnson chanced upon the Sid Mead Illustrated brochure. Quote, it was a promotional brochure put out by U.S. Steel, Johnson says, in the making of The Empire Strikes Back. And contained a whole slew of full-color paintings indicating what steel will be used for in the future. That's where the initial walker idea came from. It wasn't a military vehicle. It was just a transportation thing. But I thought it would make a great fighting vehicle if you took off the truck bed and put an armored and body and head on it. George remembers it slightly differently. Quote, the walkers were inspired by the War of the Worlds more than anything else. Where the Martians walked in machines like giant spiders. I was trying to come up with a way of making this battle different. Mm-hmm. The chicken walker is featured heavily in Return of the Jedi, but it, it appears briefly in Empire Strikes Back. The ATST is visible twice, both times in the background, in a shot of the hulking ATAT and another of Luke laying in the snow after slicing the chassis of an ATAT with his lightsaber. The ATST was a very late addition. It was December 1979. Shooting was complete. Most of the special effects were completed, and director Irving Kirshner was in Japan promoting the film. The model shop built a prototype miniature chicken walker based on Joe Johnson and special effects artist John Berg's design. Johnston showed it to Lucas. George again did not hate it and told Johnson that if the animators could build a posable model in time, he would uh, work the ATST into the movie. Finished special effects have never stopped George
1: before. Never!
0: So. <laughs> Stop-motion animation was used in A New Hope in the Chewy R2 chess scene on the Falcon, and the technique was integral to Empire Strikes Back. It was used in scenes involving Imperial Adats and Tauntauns. The process is arduous. Stop motion models had to be realistically detailed and articulated and able to hold the pose which the animators placed them in. Slight movements to the camera, model, background, or the lights could ruin a shot. Quote, John broke it all down and figured it out, Phil Tippett says in making of Empire Strikes Back. Tippett led ILM's animation department for the film along with John Berg. Quote, it was a minor miracle of engineering. Joe worked very closely with John in developing a functional prototype for how this thing would actually move because the functional stop-motion parts were right on the surface and had to operate. So the engineering that John had to put into this thing was quite complicated, like little cams and pistons that would self-animate as he moved the legs, along with some very odd couplings that Joe had designed. The issue with stop-motion, however, is that the action has a tendency to appear staccato or strobe-like or jerky, no matter how finely the models are positioned and shot. Tippett co-developed a technique called go-motion, which introduced blurring effects to smooth the action and make it seem as if it occurred more realistically in camera. The idea of using blur has existed for decades. Some early methods for achieving this included smearing Vaseline on the camera lens or gently flicking the model or moving the table while the camera lens is open, exposing the frame. Go Motion built on this moving the model technique, but used computers to pose the miniature and move it very slightly during the exposure of the frame, thus creating something that was more detailed.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. Chicken walkers. A chicken walker. Mal? Yeah.
0: You know, we raised some nuggets here a few weeks back. It's too much action for a backwater town like this. Too many nuggets. Word travels fast about these nuggets. <laughs> but before we leave, Let's roll like BB-8 through eight of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Lightning round style, you go first. Number one. Last week,
1: Deborah Chow made history by becoming the first woman to direct a live-action Star Wars installment. This week, Bryce Dallas Howard doubled that number by directing Chapter 4, marking... Obviously, but still worth saying out loud, the first time in Star Wars history Mm. that women have directed consecutive live-action installments. And Howard, of course, is not the first member of her family to direct in Star Wars. Her father, Ron Howard, never heard of him, came in to helm solo a Star Wars story after Lucasfilm boss Kathleen Kennedy bumped Phil Lord and Chris Miller from the project. You can hear us talk about that on our solo pod. Like the rest of us, Bryce Dallas Howard is clearly infatuated with Baby Yoda tweeting and instagramming <laughs> so outrageous about how her cat looks like LBY as well as about how difficult it was to keep the Baby Yoda spoilers quiet between working on her episode and the release of the show. So you got all these children, you know, oh. children
0: can't keep their mouths oh, shut. God. What's like the NDA for the, the kids? <laughs> it's like listen. <laughs> don't please don't talk about. It. How do you keep it's just be impossible to keep just, them all know. quiet
1: while Bryce Dallas Howard clearly brought that cat adoration to the way that she filmed LBY. She also seemed to bring some of her Jurassic World experience, too, giving the ATSTs and their menacing paw prints that real dinosaur energy. But something else influenced her, too. Loving Star Wars. Who among us, right? As she told fandom in an interview, quote, when you're on that set, and I hope that this is not incredibly dorky for me to say, but it's like everyone believes in the Force. That's not dorky. That's wonderful. I, I love it. Howard did not just grow up a Star Wars fan, she reminded Fandom in that same interview. She grew up around film sets on which George Lucas specifically worked. As Lucas was the executive producer flex. on, it is a flex, on Willow, which her father directed. She also shadowed her dad on the solo set, telling Fandom, quote, when my dad did solo, honestly, I was like, hey, you know that word nepotism? I'm calling it I, in. it. I respect
0: it. I respect it too. I fucking respect it. <gasps> Own it. Number two. Speaking of cats, the yes. Loth cat mm. made an appearance in this episode, hissing at poor LBY from under the Sorgon cafe table that's tough. and spooking our little buddy. Lothcats cats hail from Lothal, an outer rim planet that serves as home base for the Spectres, aka the Ghost yes. Team from Star Wars Rebels. Oh yeah. And if the Loth cat looks familiar, that's where you've seen it. The breed of Tuca cat was a steady presence in animated form on Rebels, including numerous notable sequences involving Ezra from a Force training lesson that centered on Ezra trying to feel the living Force through a Loth cat to Ezra, following a Loth cat in a vision in order to attempt to learn about his parents. Loth wolves, Mm. which hail from Lothal as well, are also glorious creatures guarding their planet through their connection to the Force. While a Loth cat can show affection if you earn it, they're also hunters, unafraid to use their claws and teeth in its ample large mouth yeah. to attack anything from probe troys <laughs> to imperial guards to loth rats and almost little baby yoda
1: prominent mouth there number 3 from loth rats to womp rats when mando settles on flying the razor crest of Sorgon, he asks baby
0: yoda quote you ready to lay low and stretch your legs for a couple of months you little womp rat Man, he hasn't been around kids a lot, and has had a tough upbringing, so he doesn't know. But like, and
1: yet he loves the foundlings. What's he calling them? Little rat. (laughs) (laughs) The unconventional term of endearment is obviously familiar to all Star Wars fans, though certainly not in that context. In A New Hope, in response to hearing how challenging the Death Star target hit would be, Luke says, "Quote: It's not impossible. It's not impossible. (laughs) Impossible." I used to bullseye Womp Rats in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than two meters. Weird flex, Luke, but okay. I know, right? Associations with Baby Yoda and Luke are more than enough to forever install Womp Rats in the Star Wars Creature Hall of Fame. So what exactly are they? Well, they're rats. Specifically, gray rodents native to Tatooine, which, despite their size, not much bigger than two meters, folks, just ask Luke, had many prominent features. Including large, pointed teeth, three sharp claws per paw, long tails and ears, and it's kind of like gnarly patches of black hair covering their spines. Kind of gross. Some rats, wonderful. Womp rats, not so. Acclimating to Tatooine's desert climate, they became menaces for the moisture farmers who have to deal with the womp rats' assault on their garbage piles. And the womp rats particularly enjoy the vibes. Java Heights. Great place to hang. And when assembled as a group, the Womp Rats tenaciously attack residents. Fearless creatures, though as Luke showed us, the residents respond in kind by hunting the Womp Rats either for sport or pest control. Distressingly, the Womp Rat is a cherished accessory of the Tuscan Raiders, who put Womp rat tusks on their outfits.
0: Listen, they're very, beasts indeed. They're very uh, respectful of the natural habitat of their planet. Yeah. And I like it. It's Probably part of why Anakin slaughtered them. <laughs> Number four. And what of the Clatuinians, a.k.a. the raiders who attack the krill farmers? The species hails from Clatuine in the Hut Space region of the Outer Rim. Clatuinians debuted in Return of the Jedi, with one present in Jabba's palace. And they make another notable appearance in Clone Wars as the bounty hunter Castus takes part in the ultimately failed mission to attempt to assassinate Mace Windu alongside angry child clone Boba Fett. The Clatuinians are... Hooligans here, but they deserve our pity. Like many other races in Star Wars, they were often enslaved, primarily by the Huts, whom we learn from Luke and Fate of the Jedi allies in Legends canon, held power over the species for more than 25,000 years. Long time. 25,000 years! Long time. Just a minute to
1: baby out of, but a long time.
0: The Klaatuinian connection to the huts stems in part from their worship of deities called the Ancients, which some Klaatuinians thought the huts to be due to their extended lifespans. Many parts of Klitoonian life, including the Trade Guild, fell under Hutt control until an uprising challenged Hutt rule. The Council of Elders ruled the race, prizing patience and age and working to stamp out individualism. Some broke free of that restraint, however, including two Jedi, Staden Eakin and Tarados Gon, both killed the Geonosis. And some others took heart from the rebel uprising, finding inspiration in the individualistic spirit on display, if not the actual politics. Perhaps... The band of brigands we see here in Chapter 4 were just such a bunch led astray by their lust for Krill uh. and the power their ATST provided, but chasing life on their own terms in their own fashion.
1: It's one way of looking at it. From sure. a certain point of view, Maybe. I guess. Number five. How they ended up on Sorgan is just one of many mysteries about this new planet. Introduced to the canon right here in Mandalorian Chapter 4. Look at that. We don't get a lot of visitors around here. We heard Omera tell Mando, and that aligns with the assessment that led him there in the first place. No starport, no industrial centers, no population density, real backwater. Skug hole. Skug, by the way, is a Zygerian insult, but we don't see any Zygerian on Sorgan. Instead, we see villagers wearing blue to match the little critters. Farming krill, a previously established part of Star Wars canon. The crustaceans can also be found on Camino. so add that to Hello. your clone... Planet connections tally here on Sorgan. The villagers and Klaatuinian use them to brew Spachka, the vats of which we see in the Klaatuinian camp and tankards of which folks are offering up and consuming all throughout the episode. Another blue beverage, someone tell Luke. While this is the first time that we've seen Krill on screen, they've previously been mentioned in both the 2001 game Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds and the 2017 book Star Wars The Visual Encyclopedia. We know that Sorgan is also home to Gringer, a creature that can be used to brew the bone broth that Mando ordered Mm. for Baby Yoda at the cafe. Delicious. Personally, I get my Gringer bone broth from Belcampo on Postmates, but to each of them. And joining all of that flora and fauna, we can also add, we think, harvester droids to the Sorgan offering, as the Krill farming villagers seem to be using just such a droid to help with their farming. We have previously seen picker droids on Lothal. One more connection between Sorgan and Lothal, which might give us a clue to this planet's relative location.
0: Number six, from the comforts of Sorgan, where Kara calls the Imperial soldiers Imps, it might just be shorthand of which there's plenty in Star Wars, but it might be a nod to IMPS, Imps, The Relentless, a multi-chapter internet fan film about the Imperial military personnel stories which started to be released in 2005. The same filmmaker had previously crafted troops and continued to apply their passion for the Star Wars universe with this mockumentary, albeit with a different tone and approach. Work on the project began in 1999 when The Phantom Menace premiered, and is one of the myriad examples of the ingenuity deployed across the Star Wars community, where parodies and homages are an imperative part of the fiber of the fandom.
1: Number seven. Before Imps, there was Endor. But after Endor, there was Jakku. Quote, Saw most of my action mopping up after Endor, Kara tells Mando, when explaining her rebel shock trooper pass. And while that statement might position the concluding events of Return of the Jedi as the final strokes in the Empire's fall, the Battle of Jakku was actually the final full-scale battle in the Galactic Civil War, taking place in 5 ABY a year after Endor. Following Endor, as the New Republic won many victories and reinstalled the Galactic Senate, the Empire divided into factions, or Imperial Remnants, as you've heard us say here before. Gallius Rex worked to assume control over many of these remnants, briefly uniting them to reform his version of the Empire and concentrate its remaining forces on the inner rim planet of Jakku for a final stand. This was an emergency contingency plan that Rex and Palpy! (laughs) Palpy. Had settled on years before, while Palpatine still reigned, a plan designed and then amended under Rax's individual domain to eliminate the remnants and the Republic, all in one fell planet, obliterating Palpy legacy, preserving swoop. A wild, complex
0: series of events. It's ensued. one of the dumbest. I just want to put it. It's a chronic level bad plan. <laughs> the Battle of Chekku. I won't. We won't go into it now because we'll talk about it later. You but well, it's just a we'll really. It's a lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts to this, <laughs> and it's also like the thrust of it, the philosophical idea behind it's it is just like unnecessary. Palpy hubris, though. Palpy, totally. pure palpy hubris. Yes. Like if I can't have my toys, then no, one, no can. one can.
1: That's right. Those complex events involved battle by air, battle by ground, a Sith holocron ritual. You name it. All eventually and predictably resulting in Rax's death. <laughs> <laughs> the wreckage and ruins that we see Rey force-parkouring around for parts in The Force Awakens when we meet her on that planet, and the survivors eventually suing for peace, at which point Mon Mothma, now Chancellor, signed the Galactic Concordance, marking the end of the Empire's rule and the war officially. This bit of backstory might prove even more relevant soon. We know that Palpy's back in Episode (laughs) 9, The Rise of Skywalker, and we know that Ray grew up on Jakku. Could there be a connection for J.J. Abrams to explore in the final
0: Skywalker saga, dropping in a movie theater near you on December 20th? Number eight! Kara may not have participated in the Battle of Jakku, but if Gina Carano had, she undoubtedly would have kicked ass. Yes. Plus, it was a crushing Rebel victory, so... Everybody got to dunk on the Imperials that day. Before she turned to acting, Carano was an MMA star, specifically a Strikeforce star. and One of the faces of the sport in 2009, she fought Chris Cyborg in a seminal match, the first major MMA event that two women headlined. Trained in Muay Thai, Carano also participated in American Gladiators. She's since played key roles in Haywire, which is incredible. She absolutely whips Fassbender's ass, crushes his head, hits him with a vase. Incredible. Uh, Fast and Furious 6 and Deadpool, among others. Her physicality and martial arts history led Karana to believe that she'd be playing a very specific kind of role in The Mandalorian, as she told our pal Joanna Robinson and Anthony Bresnikan on Vanity Fair's Still Watching podcast, quote, I thought I was going to be like the female Chewbacca. I was already put on the fur outfit and be the female version of that. That's what I thought. I was surprised to find out that I was one of the few people that you were actually going to see her face. And in a lot of scenes, sometimes the only face, which is pretty incredible. Uh Mm-hmm. Carano also told Still Watching that John Favreau wrote the role for her, never auditioning anyone else, and that she was grateful for the collaborative process that led to finding her look. "Quote: They found the most incredible balance. Hopefully, little girls or boys can put it on for Halloween." Awesome! I need to get John Favreau into my life. You just amazing. write write us into a movie because <laughs> he likes us. Put us in Mando season two. I know.
1: Well, that that item segues well into the next category, yes. buddy, Jason.
0: I yes. can't imagine
1: there's anything living in these studios that an ex-shock trooper couldn't handle. You'd be surprised. Just ask today's winner! Every episode, we're going to honor the character who rallied the troops, advanced the cause, and today, the winner of our Medal of Bravery is...
0: Cara Dune! <laughs> We've been anticipating the arrival of Gina Carano's Cara Dune in our story since seeing her... Dope tattooed face in the trailer, and she did not disappoint. No, a truly
1: great introduction from the moment that we see her hanging out at the cafe. Clearly a hyper-aware person spots Mando, thinks he might have a fob out on her, and then more than holds her own against Mando, fighting him to a draw in their initial skirmish, fighting so fiercely that she's punching Beskar with her bare hands, never sustaining an injury and kind of incredible. And after she shares baby soup. She sets the terms without fear or hesitation. I was here first. You got to go. And this former rebel shock trooper is smart, knows how to protect herself.
0: Her awareness extends well beyond battle. She calls out Mando for his lack of bedside manner with the villagers. Tough moment for Mando. And calls out the villagers, too, for not being honest about the Imperial Walker. Yeah, come on. Yeah, You got to provide all the facts up front. Well, yeah, come on. You have to.
1: But once she commits, she commits fully, helping to train the villagers, attack the Klaatuinians, and leading the charge herself to take down the ATST, saving the village. And if you want to quibble with the idea of an apparent deserter committing fully, that's within your rights. But let's see the New Republic earn some respect
0: before we judge. Thank you. She shows real ingenuity as well as great battle chemistry with Mando and quick personal chemistry too, not hesitating to chide Mando for his hesitancy to settle down, you idiot. Settle down! Live a different kind of life and making sure he knows how badly LBY will miss him if he leaves him behind. Ugh. Speaking of Baby Yoda, <sighs> Kara saves his life. Unbelievable. After Filoni, Favreau, and Bryce Dallas Howard <laughs> attempted to murder him in cold blood. Thank God for Kara blasting the bounty hunter
1: who put sweet, tender Baby Yoda how? in his crosshairs.
0: I will not warn you again. <laughs>
1: Saving Baby Yoda and saving our hearts, honestly. Yes. We just could not survive it. Until our paths cross, she and Mando say to each other as they part. And we say the same. Yeah. Because we cannot be through with Carrie yet. And in fact, we are not. According to our pal Joanna Robinson at Vanity Fair, Carano currently filming season two. Well, friends, you don't strike us as log runners, and neither do Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to hop back into the speeder continue to explore the galaxy with us, and that you'll join us again next time for our deep dive into Star Wars Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. Until then, we'll throw in a flagon of Spotchka just for good measure.
0: Nothing on this planet is capable of damaging the legs of an AT-ST. I've seen them take out entire squadrons, people. So we're going to have to be precise. We're to fight hard. Uh, ma'am? Yes, you there with the stick. Didn't the, uh, what do they call them? From Endor. The little bears, the small... Didn't they take down AT-STs? That was a general battle. There were a lot of rebel forces there. Chewbacca was there, General Solo was there, General Leia was there, so there was a lot of other stuff. Yeah, but I heard they they just used like logs, right? We got logs all over the place here. Next question, you with the basket.